Well, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Just, Won't you be mine? Yes, how about that? Let's see if we can get that set up. It is a gorgeous day. Um, sun is shining in my face, and so hopefully we can get through this without squinting too badly. It's great to, to be with you again. Uh, for those of you who, who weren't here uh, during the Lake Chelan uh, trip, uh, in June, I, I got an opportunity to preach, and um, as Haley said, I'm a former, not retired yet, but former Evangelical Presbyterian Church pastor, uh, spent 10 years with Young Life, 30 years as a pastor, and for the last six years have been working with Union Gospel Mission. As many of you know, Debbie and I were members here at John Knox in the early 80s. Uh, Harry McDonald is my father-in-law and, and was the pastor here for a number of years and retired. I think the year was 2001. Does that sound right, Uli, uh, right around 2001? And we're, uh, with Union Gospel Mission, I am the interim director of the men's shelter downtown just off Pioneer Square, which is ground zero when it comes to the issue of homelessness. And if you've been downtown, in recent years, uh, you know what it looks like downtown. And so our our responsibility and great privilege is to uh, is to meet the needs of those who are homeless. As you know, there is a homeless crisis in Seattle. The city of Seattle estimates that there are over 12,000 homeless people uh, just within the city limits of Seattle. And estimates show that there are somewhere near 40,000 homeless individuals in the Puget Sound region. So think about that, 40,000 homeless individuals in the Puget Sound region, which is about the size of the city of Wenatchee, which is just mind-boggling, mind-boggling. Seattle's Union Gospel Mission mission statement is this, to bring in the love of Jesus and hope for a new life to our homeless neighbors to bring the love of Jesus and hope for a new life to our homeless neighbors. We believe that hope for a new life comes through a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. So for 90 years, we've been Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, the emphasis on gospel. And so even though we're trying to meet the needs of our homeless folks and folks who are addicted, the emphasis has always and continues to be the gospel. So if I asked you, what is the gospel, what would you say? Anyone, what's the gospel? Jesus saves. At the end of the day, that's what it was. That's what it is. Jesus Christ came to save sinners like those folks down the street. Right? No, Jesus Christ came to save sinners like you and me. Our motto at the men's shelter downtown is transforming lives through building relationships and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we try to do. Transforming lives through building relationships and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what leads us to our text for today. The emphasis on transformation. Transformation comes through a life-changing relationship with Jesus. So if you don't mind, let me read the scripture again different translations. Sorry, I forgot that it was NRSV here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's walk through this passage together. And I, I want to highlight three actions that the Apostle Paul outlines. Offer your bodies, resist the world, be transformed. Offer your bodies, resist the world, and be transformed. But we have to start at the beginning of the passage, right? And the passage starts with, therefore, and if you know the old adage, when you see a therefore in scripture, what are you supposed to do? See what it's there for, right? See what it's there for. So the therefore has to do with God's mercy. And what Paul has done in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans has outlined what God's mercy has looks like. And he starts in, in, in chapter one, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Right? In a nutshell, that's the mercy of God. It's the gospel that's been, uh, re, uh, that's been demonstrated in the, in the work, life and work of Jesus Christ. So you may be, feel, be, be familiar with, with what is called the Romans Road. And the Romans Road is an outline of the mercy of God. It's an outline of the gospel. It's an outline of the essential elements of the gospel. So it starts with Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love for, for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, in view of the Romans road, in view of the gospel, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the proper response to that, Paul says, is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our true and proper worship. That's the first action. We are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. What Paul is doing is he's referring to Old Testament language for worship. John Piper writes this. In coming to God, the worshiper brought a sheep or a bull or a pigeon and sacrificed it on the altar as an offering to, to God. There were different kinds of sacrifices, but at the heart of it, it was that sin demanded punishment, and the slain animal represented God's willingness to accept a substitute so that the sinner might live and have an ongoing relationship of forgiveness and joy with God. Right? But that went away with Jesus Christ. The blood of animals could not take away sin. So God, because of his great love for us, sent Jesus, who is the final and all-sufficient sacrifice for sin. And again, the proper response to that is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So what we might say is, why would God be interested in my body of all things? Right? Why would God be interested in my body? Our bodies might be overweight or underweight, wrinkled. I can, I can relate to that one. Somebody has said, uh, or I, I say to myself, I, I look like a Sharpe. Not Sharpie, Sharpe, you, you know, the wrinkly dog. Blotchy, 
achy, diseased, impulsive, nervous, unattractive, lazy, awkward, disabled, nearsighted, hard of hearing, hard of hearing, stiff, brittle, you add the adjective. Why would God be interested in my body? For me, well, I'm missing a couple of legs. I've got a transplanted kidney and pancreas, a torn, rota torn rotator cuff, two, two fingers that don't work. I went in for an MRI for a hip problem. The list goes on. Why would God be interested in my body? But you know what the good news is? We get new bodies in heaven, amen? New bodies in heaven. Quoting John Piper again, when it comes to thinking about our bodies, but that kind of thinking misses the point. The offering our bodies is not the offering of our bodily looks, but the offering of our bodily behavior. In the Bible, the body is not significant because of the way it looks, but because of the way it acts. The body is given to us to make visible the mercy of Christ. The body is given to us to make visible the mercy of Christ. God doesn't demand our bodies because he wants models for Mademoiselle or Planet Muscle. He demands our bodies because he wants models of mercy. He demands our bodies because he wants models of mercy. We are to be imitators of God, Paul writes. And in this context, imitators of God's mercy, his compassion, and his kindness towards people. So the question is, how are we doing? How are we doing in imitating Christ? How are we doing in showing forgiveness and compassion and love towards people? And how about compassion and love and kindness towards, as Jimmy talked about in Jonah chapter 4 last week, toward the other, towards those who are not part of our tribe, part of our group, part of our family, part of our denomination, part of our our theological context. How are we doing in offering compassion and love towards those groups? And how about, because this is the context I live in, compassion and love towards those who are homeless. There's a lot of attitudes towards those who are homeless. They're lazy, unwilling to work, scary, dangerous, violent, drug addicts, and the list goes on. I appreciate what one article said. In most cases, homelessness is not a choice. In most cases, homelessness is not a choice. Many homeless people are forced to live on the streets because they faced eviction or lost their homes in a market crash. Others are forced into homelessness because they struggle with mental illness or addictions. These struggles can make it difficult for them to live on their own and take proper actions to keep a roof over their heads. And one of the things I've discovered in working with folks who are coming out of homelessness and addiction is that they all have stories. For most of them, it is not a choice. There are reasons that folks become homeless and there are reasons that folks become addicted. Some of the major reasons are abuse, abandonment, and neglect. Abuse, abandonment, and neglect. And on top of that, folks who are coming into our programs are struggling with shame, guilt, and failure. So that's a, that's a big recipe for the things that folks are struggling with, right? Abuse, abandonment, neglect, shame, guilt, and failure. It's no wonder that they're homeless or addicted. 
So the question is, how do we minister to a homeless population? How do we be imitators of God to folks who are stuck in that cycle? How do we offer compassion and kindness without, now hear this, without enabling the cycle of homelessness? Those are the kinds of answers we're trying to, to answer as an organization and that we should be trying to answer as churches and individuals as well. Here's the point. We are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to make visible the mercy of God to a lost and a dying world. To make visible the mercy of God to a lost and a dying world. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it like this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Take your ordinary life and place it before God as an offering, and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you today? I surrender to you. So let me tell you about a story about my friend named Stephen. Stephen is from the Chicago area and moved to Seattle to escape an abusive home life. He's an alcoholic who became homeless and a, as a poster child for why people become homeless by and large, abuse, abandonment, neglect, and he had, he had lived out all three as he was growing up. He ended up on the streets. He heard about Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, entered our program, and last month graduated from the Bridge Plus program. Here's what he said. I came to know Christ because I saw the love of Christ demonstrated through the staff at the mission, beginning with our search and rescue staff. I always thought that Christians were a bunch of hypocrites. That's amazing. People think that Christians are hypocrites, right? But I saw genuine love and grace, which made me want to find out more about Jesus. I came to realize that God loved me and had a plan for my life. I'm going to go back into the restaurant business with a new perspective to share the love of Jesus with my coworkers and customers. A transformed life. A transformed life because a group of folks had demonstrated the mercy of Christ, compassion and love towards someone who didn't know him. Offering our bodies as living sacrifices. The second action here in in Romans chapter 12 is, don't conform to the pattern of this world. I love how J.B. Phillips translates it. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. Isn't that good? Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. And the New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Don't, don't, don't. Lots of don'ts in that passage. But if we put it in a positive way, it would be this. Resist the world's ways. Resist the way the world does things, which appears to be counter to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So how do we balance those two things? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be all things to all people. Where's the balance? How is becoming all things to all people not conforming to the world? And what Paul is doing here is he's pointing out a holy tension. We have to live with both. It's a tension that we live with. Not conforming to the world on one hand, being all things to all people 
on the other. Andrew Walls, in his book, The Missionary Movement in Christian History, calls these two impulses the indigenous, indigenous principle on one hand and the pilgrim principle on the other. He says that the gospel can and must become indigenous in every culture in the world. It can and must find a home in that culture. It must fit in. That's the indigenous impulse. And he goes on to say, but at the same time, and just as powerful, the gospel produces a pilgrim mindset. It loosens people from their culture. It criticizes and corrects culture. It turns people into pilgrims and aliens and exiles in their own culture. Indigenous on one hand, fitting into the culture and calling the culture to a different life, a different lifestyle, a different way of seeing things. We often say it like this in the church. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. You've heard that, right? We're to be in the world, but not of the world. That's the indigenous principle. But the pilgrim principle is we're not to be of the world. When Harry and Hope McDonald and Debbie and Tom and Dan went to Brazil in the 60s, uh, their goal was to go to Brazil with Young Life and find ways that they could share the gospel in ways that Brazilians could understand and hear and appreciate. So what did they do? Well, the first thing they learned to do was speak Portuguese. Because if you're going to go to Brazil and share the gospel, you better know Portuguese or they're not going to be able to hear you. They moved into the neighborhood in Sao Paulo and began to get to know folks. And then they began to play jazz and bossa nova in order to attract young people to their home. And in that context, had the opportunity to share the gospel. That's the indigenous principle. At the same time, they lived out the pilgrim principle, which is, this is what the kingdom of God, God is all about. This is what Jesus came to do to save us from sin and death and the devil, and by, and by the way, from our own culture, which leads us to death. But what we want you to do, Harry and Hope pointed out, was to live the abundant and eternal life, the transforming life, that's found in a relationship with Jesus. And at the end of the day, it's what Jesus did, right? He incarnated the indigenous principle. In fact, he was the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. The God of the universe, immortal, invisible, God only wise, the hymn says, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, humbled himself and became a human being and moved into the neighborhood, as it were, so that we might know him and respond to him and love him. And that's the challenge for us as well, to be in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, but not of the world, demonstrating a radically different way to live as we point to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're trying to do at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. By the way, this isn't a plug for Seattle's Union Gospel Mission necessarily, but that's where I work in the context I live, so I keep talking about it. Remember our, our men's shelter mission statement, transforming lives through building relationships and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
we build relationships with folks on the street through our search and rescue program, those vans that go out every night. And we build relationships with folks in our program with the hope of being able to share the gospel because the gospel transforms lives. And I say this all the time, and it's not a knock on the church, and it's not a knock on young life. I've seen more stories of transformation in the last six years than I saw in 40, 40 previous years of ministry. Why is that? Because folks are desperate. They're desperate for change. They're desperate for transformation. They're desperate for something different. Which leads to the third action. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Be transformed, Paul says. Webster's Dictionary defines transformation as to change in composition or structure, to change the outward form or appearance of, to change in character or condition. What common denominator did you see or hear through those definitions? Change. Right? Transformation is about change. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone and the new has come. When my boys were growing up, there was a toy called Transformers, which is still a big deal, right? Had Transformers all, what do you want for your birthday? I want to transform. What do I want for Christmas? I want to transform. Transformers. Transformers had the ability to, to be manipulated, but to change from one shape to another. Optimus Prime, the big transformer, right? Could change from a really cool, super cool 18-wheel uh, cab to a heroic warrior with all kinds of cool weapons. Bumblebee changed from a sleek yellow race car to a great-looking robot and so on. That's the outward form. We're all changing outwardly, amen? Anybody changing outwardly besides me? I look at pictures of 30 years ago, and uh, somehow I just don't look the same. I, I look a little bit different. But the transformation that the Bible speaks about is inward transformation. A change of heart, and character, and perspective, and attitude. A change in the way we look at the world. A change, a change in our way of being. A change in our way of being. Here Paul says that transformation happens through a renewing of the mind. Why does Paul start there? What's the big deal about renewing our mind? Why does renewal of the mind begin the process of transformation? And then what does that look like? There's a lot of folks in our culture and in our world who think that the answer to most of our problems is more education. If we just had more education, all of our problems would go away. Now, I'm a big fan of education. My wife's a teacher, so I better be a fan of education, right? Quoting John Piper again. So education becomes the great instrument of redemption. Education becomes the great instrument of redemption, personal and social. If people just got more education, they would not use their minds to invent elaborate scams and sophisticated terrorist plots and complex schemes for embezzling and fast-talking, mentally nimble radio rudeness. If people just got more education. But we know that's not the answer. The Bible says something different. 
Ephesians 4.23, which paralyzes, paralyzes, there you go, which parallels Romans 12.2 says this, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The mind has a spirit. It has a mindset, a viewpoint, a posture, a demeanor, a bearing, an attitude, a bent. And the problem is that our mind is part of our fallen nature. A mindset that is hostile towards God. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 4. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, as the world does, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Darkened. Alienated. Ignorant. That's the state of the human mind. So how can our minds and thus our lives be transformed? Well, here's the deal. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the ability to change our minds, to transform our minds. Oh, we can learn lots of new things and we can gain some new perspectives, but we can't change or renew our minds. We need something from without, from outside of ourselves in order to cause that transformation to happen. And the good news is that believers have the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to do just that. Here's what Paul says in Titus 3.5. God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who renews our minds. It's his work. He works from the outside in, leading us to hear and respond to the gospel. And he works us and he works from the inside out, breaking up the hardness of our hearts and renewing our minds. And the result is that we are able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. What's God's will? Oh, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. Not even going to go there this morning. But in this context, God's will is to do and to be what he calls us to do and be, and to love him and to love people. We have a young man by the name of Trayvon uh, in our program. Trayvon grew up in the inner city of Sacramento in a culture of drugs, gangs, and violence. He spent three years in prison for selling drugs, and when he got out, rather than going back to that environment in Sacramento, where he knew he'd get drawn back into that same environment, he ended up moving to Seattle. But guess what? He didn't know anything else. And so he ended up gravitating back to what he already knew. So one day in an altercation, he was shot, right? ended up in the hospital. Getting ready to get out, he had nowhere to go. So Harborview Hospital called Seattle's Union Gospel Mission and got into our ECP program, our extended care program for those who are getting out of the hospital or have medical conditions and have nowhere to go. So Trayvon has been with us for the last two months had never heard the gospel, and as a result of being in the EC program, has had the gospel shared over and over again, and he has come to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. He's been transformed from the inside out. A couple of nights ago, uh, one of our welcome, staff, welcome center staff was kind of doing their tour of the building, and they found Trayvon in the bathroom at three o'clock in the morning. He's not supposed to be there. What was he doing? He was reading his Bible. And here's what he said. 
I am so excited to get out of the program because I want to go and share Christ with young people who are suffering in gangs and from violence. And he's, he's put out a TikTok chat, a channel. If you don't know TikTok, go ask your kids or your grandkids. They'll help you understand it. Where he's sharing his testimony with thousands of other young people. God has transformed his life. Be transformed. The tense of the ver verb is that it's an ongoing process. We're transformed when we come to know him as our Lord and Savior. But the process of transform, transform, transformation is ongoing. And it happens with the renewing of our mind. As we worship, as we gather together in fellowship, as we serve, as we read our Bible, as we pray. The process of transformation goes on. And my question for us this morning is, how hungry are we for transformation? Or are we just content with the same old, same old? Doing the same old thing in the same old way. Doing the same old thing in the same old way. Three questions for us as we close this morning. A, or number one, have we offered our bodies as living sacrifices to God? Demonstrating compassion and kindness and mercy to people who are not part of our group. Second, are we resisting the ways of the world and at the same time looking for ways to intentionally relate to and ministry and minister to the folks out there? And then third, what are we doing to trans to foster transformation in our own lives? What are we doing to foster transformation in our own lives? To be in a position where the Holy Spirit can renew our minds through worship and prayer and his word, etc. And to foster transformation in others as we seek to share the life-changing gospel.